You're listening to an encore presentation of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And welcome. We're glad you joined us today. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, your host with Gina Knoll here in the studio. How are you this morning, Gina? I am doing well, Deacon Mike. Very good. How is your week? Oh, by the way. Oh, yes. Fall is here. Yes, fall is here. And Mother Nature has decided to uh, show us that fall is here. One of the nice things about fall is I like to open up the windows. Isn't that nice? Air out the house and everything. Not so much. Yeah, airing out the house is nice. I, I like the um, alleviation from the hum of the air conditioner. Right. That is so peaceful without that. Right. Although I did appreciate the nice cool air it produces. Yeah, I like the air conditioner too, but you go half the year with the air conditioner on, half the year with the heater on, and you like to open up and just get the fresh air in for a while. We've been doing that. that's, so that's right. What been doing. Did you start your St. Michael yes. novena this yes. week? Yes. Isn't that and, a beautiful and, uh, and prayer? And Luann and I do it together at night, and uh, it is very beautiful. It yes. is very beautiful. Well, I'm yes. hoping that we have thousands or hundreds of thousands of prayer warriors throughout this country. Well, we certainly need it because we we have a lot of problems that we need a lot of prayers to help us with. And, yes. uh I picture you all joining us this week and, and, and on to St. Michael's Feast Day. This week uh, on to St. Michael's Feast Day, which is Sep- not this Friday, September but the following 29th. Friday, September 29th. And, of course, we're having our Mass at uh, St. Augustine. Augustine's at 6 o'clock that day. 6 o'clock Friday night. So after work, drop Archangel. by. Drop by. Drop by. You'll like it. I think we may even have a potluck after that. So. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to so, watch the bulletin this yeah, week. Check yeah, that one so out. Come on in. All right. We got an interesting program today. We are bringing on board somebody that we've not had before, Judicial Watch. And we're going to talk to Chris Farrell there, who is the director of research on this new, um, I guess, George Soros School of Journalism. <laughs> If oh, he goodness. hasn't, if he hasn't screwed up the criminal justice system enough, now he's going to screw up what's left of a bad product right now. Well, wasn't he responsible? I mean, I think we did a story at one point that he, or even a squib, that uh, George Soros has been pumping money in uh, to buy the Hispanic uh, radio, radio stations, stations around right. the country so That's that right. he can uh, direct the message the way he'd like to His those Marxist listeners. communist message. Yeah. Yeah. So now he needs people to staff it, apparently. So he's funded a journalism school. Very clever man. And then after uh, Chris, we're going to have our old friend Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. They just opened up an office in Iowa. We're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk to him about a new law in California that requires judges to consider the apparent gender affirmation policy when deciding custody agreements. So, That's been in the news this week quite a bit. Right, um, right. And we've been trying to get him on for a week on this. He couldn't make it last week, so we pushed him back to this week. And, yeah. and I feel like the California legislature has even pushed more legislation in this direction, even while this is still bubbling in the court system. They are crazy. 
I mean, you can't describe it any other way. They are just simply crazy. And I'll tell you what, if we ask Brad when he gets on here, I bet he'll tell you the same thing. They are just nuts down there. Well, and they're uh, ruining that state. Yes. They're ruining oh, that although state. I did hear an interview with a uh, Sacramento legislator who is now being very vocal about um, the destruction of Sacramento by right. the homeless and some of these other policies, these drug policies. And the state attorney in that area is suing over that. In Sacramento? In Sacramento. Oh, I hadn't That's heard right. that yeah. lawsuit. Yeah. yeah. That, so we well, so things are changing, right? They are. All right. Yeah, do we have people, a prayer to open us up with? I do. A uh, prayer for peace today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn your way of love to those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us all in hope. And give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign in the hearts of all, among nations, and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Jeannie. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be right back after these messages with Chris Farrell from Judicial Watch. You're listening to an encore presentation of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we are back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we have with us right now Chris Farrell, who is the Director of Research at Judicial Watch. And uh, Chris, I want to talk to you about something uh, that is uh, at least as near and dear to me as a former journalist, um, is uh, the sad state of journalism uh, couldn't get any worse, I don't think. But now we have George Soros entering the picture. Yeah, I can tell you that uh, we've done a, a bunch of work uncovering the activities of the Open Society Foundations and things that they fund and try to influence there's really a revolving door. There's this nexus of both personnel and money between the Soros Foundation uh, or the Open Society Foundations, which is just one of uh, the Soros operations, and the U.S. government in particular. Uh, that, that's one disturbing trend. But the other one is their influence uh, on various educational institutions. And in particular, what, what I guess we're talking about today is their efforts to subvert or to twist uh, traditional journalism into something that they're calling uh, the Solidarity Journalism Initiative uh, at the University of Texas. And this is an effort not to uncover facts and, you know, do straight-up reporting and let the, let the public decide what's going on. This is their effort to shape narrative. And it, it's, it is not so much journalism as it is uh, training in Marxist propaganda. I, I think you're right, and I'll tell you, this is close to me because, as I pointed out before, I, I before I became a lawyer, I was a journalist, and I still am a journalist because of my writing and that, uh, but it seems to me that what they're talking about here is really Marxist propaganda, uh, because there's one thing that I learned in journalism school almost the first week was facts matter, who, what, when, where, why, and how. And, uh, and an objective report on what is actually happening. That's not what they're talking about, though. That is correct. And this is, in fact, one of the, the leaders of this at, at the University of Texas, Austin. They've got this thing called the Solidarity Journalism Initiative. Um, and that, that's, the, that's the program. 
but the, the leader of it, or the director, uh, is a, a purported professor at the university there who has a, a long, and you can read the, the column, you can read what her position is, but she says that, that, that solidarity, meaning this, this in, initiative, this, this viewpoint that they have, eclipses or overrides objectivity as journalism's dominant ideal. That, that's her expression. I'm, I'm quoting it. And the idea behind this, it's really super lefty Marxist propaganda, is that <clears throat> here's another great lie. Social justice. There's no such thing. There's justice, period. I agree with you, you on that. Adding on, uh, start adding on various adjectives and adverbs uh, to, to justice. You're, you're pushing a leftist propaganda line. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians fall for that. Now, oh, social justice is we're going to correct all the wrongs in the world. Well, yeah, social justice is not oxymoron. You don't need to put an adjective mm-hmm. on it. Nonetheless, um, they're trying to shape language and tell stories in a way that distorts and really it's psychological conditioning. It's what it really boils down to. This is an effort to influence not just the journalists, but the, the general public into buying a line of uh, really Marxist leftist baloney. To be presented as news. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. This is happening. This is also happening. I mean, this is journalism, but you you can dial it down to an elementary school class when it comes to teachers and instruction. You know, you take a word problem where, uh, you know, Johnny and his parents drive 50 miles to the amusement park. You know, they're halfway home. How many miles have they driven? You know, mm-hmm. and teachers don't take that as a word problem. They turn it into, well, listen, kids, why are they driving? Why aren't they taking public transportation? Hey, yeah. kids, how many of you can't afford to go to an amusement park? I mean, so the teachers will take a straight up word problem and they'll politicize it and turn it into a social justice narrative. And they're indoctrinating kids and they're not teaching how to calculate the number of miles driven, they turn it into a grudge match. They turn it into all the sort of disparity uh, focusing efforts that are designed to uh, create this leftist narrative of the oppressor and the oppressed. And, and that, that, that's an example out of a, out of a, out of a elementary school classroom. But this is now up at the university level, right? So for context... Um, I just want to point out that I I taught journalism law at George Mason University in Virginia for five years. So uh, I have direct firsthand knowledge of what the journalism teaching experience is in in a university setting. And I know what the goals and objectives of these sort of uh, Open Society Foundations uh, people are. Uh, and I've seen it in action. So I, I know the, the teaching environment, and I know what they are trying to advance. So, yeah. so Chris, I, I'm, I'm curious. This whole story is very curious to me because we did a story um, on the program at one point about the Soros organizations buying up some of the Hispanic um, radio stations throughout um, Florida and other parts of the country. Um, so it makes sense that this is the next step. Uh, is this the only school, the University of Texas, that we know of that he is um, becoming a part of or funding? And is this Anita uh, Varma, the professor who has put this curriculum together, um, a part of the Soros organizations or the Open Society? How does he? How did he choose? Do you have any background on that? 
So one of the things that they're quite good at is having all sorts of affiliates and associates and uh, uh, sort of aligned groups. So you can you can often draw dotted or dashed lines, but you can't always draw a straight, solid line between the various actors and characters. And that's one of the ways that they operate is almost in a sort of uh, cellular network, like uh, uh, really like communist cells, frankly. Um, so I don't know the particulars concerning Ms. Varma and what her uh, direct affiliations or indirect ones are. Um, it, you know, it's uh, I, I can tell you to your opening remark about Soros buying up radio stations. That was that was a knee-jerk reaction from the left because they got wind. This all started in Miami, actually. The left got wind that the Salem radio network a very fine uh, Christian uh, evangelical uh, radio network across the country that they were interested in purchasing uh, this kind of flagship station in Miami. And as soon as the word got out that these Christian conservatives were interested in in purchasing the station, well, that set off uh, a bidding war. And uh, in came the left and, you know, got into direct competition in, that, in an effort to, to stop or to preclude the growth of Christian stations. George Soros seems to have his fingers in almost everything, and we're watching around the country to see uh, what is happening with our criminal justice system because he's uh, uh, placed so many uh, county prosecutors uh, in office. As a matter of fact, we have a county attorney here that was elected with his support. Um, why don't we just step back a minute, and if you can explain to us what his open society is and what, in effect, he's trying to do, because it's it's beyond the judicial system and it's beyond journalism. Uh, there's more to it than that. And uh, quite frankly, I find the silence of the media to be deafening about this. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the effort, too, right? If it's not reported on and it's not discussed— or if it is discussed and you paint the persons discussing it as sort of lunatic fringe haters, you know, you could be accused of all sorts of isms, right? You can, you can be racist and homophobic and anti-Semitic and you know, every kind of slur uh, one can imagine is normally thrown at anybody who points at this and says, wow, this appears to be a multi-billion-dollar operation, and they they're, have a very uh, aggressive agenda, and they're very organized, and they uh, they seem to you know try to place people and money uh, at, at at critical junctures. If you point at that, then you're called all sorts of names and, and accused of all sorts of horrific things. But it's really a globalist agenda. They love open borders particularly uh, along our southern border in Mexico, but they, they've advanced open borders in Europe as well. Um, and we've seen the consequences in Europe where you know Germany's taken in roughly 1.5 million persons uh, without a single vote. It was a stroke of the pen by Angela Merkel, who was the chancellor at the time, back in 2015, 2016, but Germany's feeling the consequences of it now. Uh, when you have a, a country like Hungary, uh, which the left le- left loves to smear. They love to call Prime Minister Orban 
authoritarian and all sorts of other things that are absolute lie. Hungary very proudly proclaims itself and its constitution to be a Christian nation, and they reject uh, uncontrolled migration, and they reject the whole gender ideology coming out of the European Union. Uh, Hungary actually asked parents, asked uh, voters, do you want the European Union uh, LGBTQ curriculum in your school, or do you want parents to be in charge of education? And upwards in the 90th percentile, uh, the results came back for the four questions asked on that issue. And Hungarian parents, Hungarian voters said that, no, we'll take control of that. Thank you. Parents are in charge. And since they rejected the gender ideology being forced by the European Union, the European Union shut down billions of euros in support for Hungary that they've been paying into. So, I mean, this is this is an organized operation. This is not just sort of randomly occurring, you know, uh, odd coincidences. Uh, Open Society Foundation has uh, really stoked racial disharmony. They funded uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, they, they supported groups that were involved in the Ferguson, Missouri riots. Uh, they they meddle in elections and try to weaken election systems here in the United States by uh, some goals and objectives about registration and late voting and absentee voting, all the sort of mischief that makes people wonder if elections are legitimate. Um, and they've attacked Second Amendment protections here as well. So they've got an agenda. You can read it for yourself. I mean, this is not a secret. They have a website where they lay out all their goals. Uh, Judicial Watch has done a lot of reporting on this, uh, but you know they've they have a view, they have a vision uh, that is distinctly, uh, I say, almost polar opposite to a lot of the constitutional freedoms that you and I uh, cherish. Right. Uh, you mentioned uh, your um, your organization, Judicial Watch, and this is the first time that we've had somebody from Judicial Watch on. So why don't we take just a couple of minutes? to explain to our listeners what Judicial Watch is and what it is that you do. Sure. So Judicial Watch promotes uh, integrity and accountability in government, politics, and the law. We do it, uh, we've been doing it for 27 years, and I've been for there working there for 24 of the 27. I'm in my 25th year now working there. Uh, I head up the Research and Investigations Division of the organization, we make very aggressive use of the open records laws, the Freedom of Information Act, and various state laws that are like that. We also sue uh, on constitutional issues. And what we really want to do is educate the public about the operations of government, what the government is or isn't doing for you. We like to get records, <clears throat> records of documents from the government so you can see what they're doing. What, what are they up to? And then there are instances where public officials are engaged in corrupt activities or uh, abusing their office in some way, and then we, we sue them. We go to court, and uh, we try to represent the interests of the American public. And so uh, that's what we do. We're not a single-issue advocacy group. We're not all about one particular topic or one public policy issue or another. There's a whole host of things that we pursue. And uh, we all the records and documents that we get, we put online so you can read what's going on. 
you may remember uh, very famously back in 2016 that Hillary Clinton was running her own email server. She wasn't using the government ones. She was right. communicating with all sorts of folks on her own terms. And the only reason you know that Hillary Clinton had an email server is because of the work of Judicial Watch. Good work. Yes. Very uh, important information. So let me ask you the loaded question here as we're a, a religious sure. uh, station. Uh, what do you see as we're looking at George Soros and these people on the left and the open uh, borders, uh, the open society program for religious liberty? Because it seems to me that one of the things that they attack are those things that we hold in, in most value. A family organization, worshiping God freely and things like that. Yeah, I would say that they're antithetical to that. Um, they they really have a, you know, Marxist agenda. Uh, so they seek to destabilize uh, and, and really deconstruct uh, the family unit. Uh, their version or their explanation or definition of a family would have your hair standing on end. Um, they would view the Catholic Church as a rigid, patriarchal, you know, blah, 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 uh, you know, a- effort to suppress the masses, you know. You're, you're, you're peddling the opium of the masses. That, that, that would be their approach. And you're caught up in uh, rigid dogma that is, you know, something from, you know, 500 years ago. Uh, and so they, in my view, uh, in my interpretation of a lot of what they advance, uh, or, or if you found a Catholic uh, that was a supporter, they would come out of the sort of liberation theology school uh, of, uh, of Catholic uh, thinking and writing. And so, you know, if that's what you're looking for— <laughs> Uh, that's what you can find coming out of the Open Society Foundations. Yeah, and that's something I think John Paul II condemned, didn't he, the uh, liberation theology? <laughs> yeah, there, there might be a problem uh, with the, the current occupant of the seats, but uh, uh, setting that aside, there's what they stand for is a radical, militant, uh, social justice you know, warrior mindset that again, it, it comes out of the critical theory school, right? Of the Frankfurt School. Right, the Frankfurt it's school. deconstructing all that is good in Western civilization. That's what they're looking for. Right, and that goes back to Marx and Engels as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the interesting thing to me is that in all of these divisive um, ideologies, the one word they use quite a bit, and I read through the curriculum that. In your article that uh, Nita uh, Varma from the University of Texas has produced in the journalism school, the word solidarity is used in every one of their descriptions, and yet the the, the philosophy that she teaches is incredibly divisive. It looks it yes. teaches us to look for the differences in everything that we do, and um, yeah, your truth and my truth, and <laughs> never the truth. Keep them all pitted Correct. against one another, and we'll prevail, right? Yeah. So. Uh, it, it, yeah. Sitting in front of me right now uh, is a document from 1959. <laughs> it, is a, it is the good old Un-American Activities Committee of the House of Representatives talks about language and mm-hmm. the communist weapon. And there's an uh, uh, Austrian 
Ph.D. who came to America before World War II, a guy named Stefan Possony, P-O-S-S-O-N-Y, who's written a bunch of great things. He's now deceased, of course. But um, this 1959 document on language as a communist weapon uh, is extraordinarily useful and helpful. And it explains to you how the left will try to capture a word like solidarity and use it as a dividing wedge, which which doesn't make sense because it's supposed to mean unity, right? Exactly. And instead, not, they twist it and pervert it into something not else. 1984 completely. in real life. Uh, exactly. Is, is that document on your website? Uh, that particular document isn't. That's just something of my own personal, right. uh, <laughs> my own personal collection that I, is worthwhile to read. Yeah, I think you know you could probably go online and find a copy of it. Or I know for a fact you can find the writings of Stefan. It's S-T-E-F-A-N. Last name is Possony. P-O-S-S-O-N-Y. Brilliant man, uh, and uh, he 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 knows of what he writes, and so he very clearly lays out uh, this use of of language by communists as a weapon. And in the late 1950s, early 1960s, he's writing about all the sort of psychological warfare tactics that are that were used then that we now today accept as totally normal. They're winning. Correct. They're winning. And unfortunately, we're losing time. <laughs> we're, we're out of time here, Chris. We're it's fascinating to have information. To go, yeah, we'll have you back and talk about some of this in more detail at another time. But uh, again, before we go, uh, why don't you give us that website again and how we can get a hold of you and see what Judicial Watch is up Sure. The best thing to do, it's all one-stop shopping. Go to the website. You'll see a ton of important information up there. It's Judicial Watch, all together, one word, judicialwatch.org, O-R-G. And I hope that your listeners Go there and check us out, and they'll find all sorts of great information. Very good. Chris Farrell, who is the Director of Research at Judicial Watch, thank you very much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. And again, we will have you back. We'll go into all this stuff in more detail, especially as we get closer to the election, because this is something that uh, people need to be aware of. Thank you great for joining you. us. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. You're listening to an encore presentation of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And right now we have with us Brad Dacus, our old friend, from the Pacific Justice Institute, who's just opened up a new office in Iowa. Brad, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing just great. Thank you. So first of all, uh, tell us about the office that you opened up in Iowa. You've got offices all over, but it seems like most of the offices you've had have been on uh, what we would call the left coast. Uh, but now you've got one in Iowa. Where is that located, and uh, how is it doing? Uh, yeah, my understanding, the, the office is in uh, Iowa City, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, uh, it's doing just great. Uh, the attorney there is uh, is has experience. Uh, he's a, a, a litigator, and he's ready to go to bat for uh, the religious freedom, parents' rights, sanctity of human life uh, for uh, everyone there in the, the state of Iowa. And um, you know, we're looking. We're really glad to to have uh, him uh, join our team. It's going to be a, a very important office, uh, located a very central part of the country. 
And, of course, everyone knows Iowa is a, a state of great influence uh, in the presidential elections um, and has um, actually sometimes been a bellwether of, of positive new trends in terms of education and, and other topics. And uh, we are uh, very excited to have that office there. We already have a, you know, um, cases in, there in, 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 uh, in the state of Iowa, and that's why we had to open the office. It was just a, a pragmatic necessity because of uh, what we have taking place there in Iowa. Now, the next question I have is, when are you going to come for the grand opening and cut the ribbon? <laughs> yeah. If I have time, I would love to be <laughs> able to do that kind of a ceremony. Uh, but I, I just um, came back last night from uh, uh, Arizona, Tucson. And uh, before that, I was on a speaking tour in New York and New Jersey. And um, so we've uh, we got, you know, we have a, a lot going on that... Um, I would love the opportunity to come back to Iowa uh, in, in the not-too-distant future. You know, I, well, we know you're busy, and you've been on the program many times, but you're the only person I think we've ever er- interviewed in an airport terminal. I remember yeah. one time you were in an airport terminal, and we were interviewed, and then they called your plane, and you had to go. Yes, you are very generous with yes. your time and information for us. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you. My, my next flight uh, leaves in two hours, so I've got uh, I've got uh, some time to Got spare, a little bit no of time. <laughs> yes, right. yes. All right. You're out in California, and um, that's maybe not an easy place to live anymore. Uh, they just passed a new law out there involving uh, gender affirmation by parents in custody disputes. You want to explain to us what that is all about and where that may be taking us nationwide, ultimately? Yeah, it's very, very disturbing. Uh, what it uh, says is that uh, if you have uh, two parents... And um, you know the divorce, or they have a custody issue, or or so let's say they're not ever never were married, and they have a custody dispute issue. And uh, you know one parent is you know saying, hey, yeah, we think it's uh, same sex sex acts are great. We think that uh, kids who want to you know change their gender, yeah, you know cut off their body parts, stick them with hormones for the rest of their life, and make them permanently sterilized. We think that's great. And then you have the other spouse who says. No, uh, I believe that's wrong. I believe that's you know those, those sex acts and, and, and all prior to marriage uh, with a, a you know the opposite sex is wrong. It's immoral. Um, I believe it's it's not healthy to encourage confusion in a child. It's going to result in terrible statistical tragedy before the age of thirty, probable death before the age of thirty. This law says that if in that scenario, the judge is to give preference to the parent. Uh, to the former and not the latter, uh, to, the, to the parent who uh, wants to encourage and affirm same-sex sex acts, uh, who wants to encourage and affirm gender confusion, that's the parent who would get preference against the parent who has uh, a much more sane um, and probable more moral, even re- religious background. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible law. It's hideous. It's twisted. And it's very indicative, unfortunately, of the, the kind of people who are dominating the state legislature in the, in the state of California. We keep seeing the name of this uh, uh, Senator Scott uh, Weiner comes up over and over again in these things. We're almost like we know him here, uh, but it looks like he was one of the ones behind this. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Weiner's been very problematic uh, for those who... Value religious freedom, uh, parental rights, sanctity of human life. Uh, he is pushing the envelope to, uh, in accordance with the radical left and their agenda, to 
uh, destroy and dismantle uh, our freedoms under the Constitution, but also uh, the, the the moral structure and uh, of the family and the institution of the family. Um, it's a he's a he's a very dangerous politician. But the fact that he can be this successful is indicative of his peers and the direction for the state of California, uh, which unfortunately is very uh, very dark. Want to look at this uh, law? How it might be uh, interpreted by a judge, for example? Uh, if we have a custody dispute and one of the parents wants to send the child to a Catholic or parochial school, and the other is is wanting to send the child to a, a public school, will that figure in somehow? Will the judge be able to use that, saying, "Well, the Catholic school isn't going to teach"? proper gender identity, and therefore, uh, if you're going to a Catholic school, you can't get custody. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, because uh, that is a, a likely um, factor, and it's a major factor. You know, right now, we see, in terms of where a child goes to, to schooling, when you have two parents disagreeing, right now, we already see a clear bias by most judges against religious schools or Catholic schools in favor of uh, inferior secular public schools, and of course in California, uh, they're they're a joke. Uh, they're you know the, if a child goes to a public school in California, the odds are more likely than not that they're going to be illiterate, uh, literally illiterate. Uh, that's what the stats show, and yet judges are willing and uh, and prone to put their the child to side with a parent who wants the child in a secular. Uh, radical, you know, left-promoting public school over a highly academically successful, statistically, uh, you know, and moral Catholic school. Okay, we're talking about the schools, um, and uh, one of the things I want to ask you about the schools, Brad, is there is now a big controversy with uh, the state now forcing uh, uh, schools uh, to lie to parents about what their children are saying and doing as far as gender identity in school. Yeah, unfortunately, this is not a rogue school we're talking about. This is policy being pushed by the teachers' unions uh, all across the United States. That is, they want uh, public schools uh, to lie to parents, for teachers to lie to parents uh, about the uh, gender confusion that their child might be experiencing in public school. Um, they, uh, so when the child uh, you know, is with their parents, say for open house, the school will refer to the child based on the biological uh, name, the original, you know, the name that the child has. Uh, but then when the parents are gone and the child's in public school, they'll refer to the child with a, a, a different gender name. Instead, uh, they'll hide things from the parents, they'll lie to the parents, this is the protocol being pushed and encouraged by the teachers' union-dominated uh, school boards, which are the overwhelming majority of the school boards across the nation. Even many politicians, unfortunately, um, are also supportive of this, who are uh, from the left, who are liberal, uh, who are a part of a, a liberal political party in the, that's very strong in the United States. Um, that's what their agenda is, is to undermine parental rights, uh, and uh, we're going to see this not decrease anytime soon, uh, but only increase. And that's why we at Pacific Justice Institute are addressing it uh, ever so aggressively. And not only um, what they're doing with the kids, they're, they're destroying the family uh, as well as 
I guess, hurting the kids because uh, after the indoctrination from uh, teachers, uh, what kid is going to trust his parents anymore? Oh, exactly. And that's, that's a part of the, their movement, uh, which is to undermine parents. Uh, their, their ideology and rationalizing of, their, of lying to parents is that parents are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Parents can be uh, hurtful and harmful to children. And they almost presume, and effectively they presume, that parents will be harmful to children if they find out that the child has gender identity uh, confusion or dysphoria. Uh, Their presumption with this policy is that parents are dangerous uh, for kids in this situation, and they must protect the child from their uh, inherently presumed dangerous parents. Uh, This ideology isn't something they keep to themselves. Uh, This is the ideology that they uh, convey to the children and uh, in their their, uh, alleged efforts to, quote, protect the children from their presumably dangerous and harmful and uh, Neanderthalic uh, mindset parents. That's, that's the ideology, and we've actually seen this argued. I've seen it argued myself before the Kern County Board of Education by public school teachers, radical leftist public school teachers uh, who are part of the LGBTQ themselves, uh, who are pushing and promoting this ideology to justify uh, lying to parents. It is disgraceful, but unfortunately, this is what they're doing, and it's widespread across America. If parents have not pulled their children out of public school, yet this, uh, this alone should be a major reason for doing so uh, because of its widespread application in our, in our government schools. And we know from centuries that uh, allowing a child or encouraging a child to keep secrets from their parents is the first step in grooming them. I, right. I, I, we, uh, our country was... Um, so um, so adamant about not allowing that to ever happen to a child, and now we're just promoting it. It seems backwards. Yeah, it, it does seem very backwards, and yet it's very widespread. And I also want to note that, um, unfortunately, that there are uh, private schools out there, uh, religious schools, uh, you know, unfortunately even uh, you know, Catholic schools, where we see this creeping in, uh, this kind of teaching and ideology. Um, into the into those schools. So I encourage parents, if uh, they're going to have their child, if, take their child and put them into a private religious school or, or, or Catholic school, they need to check that school out and make sure that that school is one where the teachers and the clergy are truly respectful of the canons of the Catholic faith and are not divergent uh, with some uh, you know new ideology uh, that's comporting with the LGBTQ movement. Um, you know, we see this as very problematic. Uh, private religious schools like the Episcopals, I'd say, are probably the worst that we have found uh, that are, have sometimes can be even, uh, even worse than public schools when it comes to pushing and promoting these kinds of ideologies. But no matter what the denomination, no matter uh, you know, what the, the, um, the traditional doctrine of that uh, religion, of that school, parents need to check it out to make sure that they are true to the professed faith, um, and uh, that that uh, is very important um, as we as we've seen uh, time and time again. I guess the bottom line here is, if you want to be in control, you have to take control. Yes, yeah, ex- exactly, and and not just blindly trust anyone or anything uh, in this regard. Uh, you know, if you find a, a, a for example a, a Catholic school that is 
respectful of the canons of the Catholic faith and are true to the Catholic faith, then you can be rest assured that you're not going to uh, experience this, these, uh, this kind of horrific and grooming and indoctrination taking place in public schools. But make no mistake, um, parents should not assume anything. They need to be engaged, and they need to put their children first. Uh, pu- public schools have become spiritual death camps, spiritual death camps across the country, uh, and parents need to respond accordingly. Yeah. So Pacific Justice is very good at their website, from what I remember. I haven't looked recently, but there are educational materials for for parents, for policymakers, um, for lawyers, obviously. Um, How can we find more information about what things to look for in our schools? Uh, Yeah, I would go to our website, pji.org, look at our parents' rights. Uh, We have, you know, opt-out forms. We have uh, customized uh, information for parents on a number of the different issues, uh, but uh, and also to, to get our legal insider updates on our cases. Uh, that's how parents, are, I think, are, is a great way for them to keep up with what's actually happening. You know, what's the next uh, front that it's having to, uh, you know, to deal with uh, that's uh, going to challenge their rights as, as parents, of, as particularly parents of, of, of faith and of the Catholic faith. Uh, this is real important uh, for parents to be equipped. You know, God doesn't want us to have our head in the sand. He wants us to, he commands us in Second Timothy chapter 3 to be watchful uh, in all things. Uh, that is so applicable today. We encourage people to take advantage of those resources to be watchful at pji.org. And could we uh, find information about the Iowa office there, how to contact the Iowa office for those people in our listening area? Yeah, and it's really easy to do that. They just either can just email PJI if they want information or they have an issue uh, in Iowa, or if they want to call our main number, they can do that, too. Uh, that's uh, easy to, to, to do, which is 916-857-6900. We have a phone system where it links all of our, our offices together. You just call that main number, and they'll sw- switch you uh, right to the, uh, the Iowa attorney um, as is needed with regard to, to legal issues and, and representation, always without charge, 916 916- Eight five seven, sixty nine hundred. You mentioned it was out. Uh, it was without charge. Somebody had, has to pay for all of this, and so we would encourage anybody uh, that has some spare change and wants to send them your way to do that, because that certainly uh, is helping fight the war here. Yes, yeah, so we're a, we're a nonprofit five hundred one c three legal organization, and uh, everyone's donations is uh, fully tax deductible. All right, Brad. I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. We uh, we certainly appreciate your time and effort and everything, and we'll keep you in our prayers. And that's pji dot org if anybody wants any other information. And uh, Brad Dacus, the president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. Thank you, and God bless you and your work. Oh, thank you, and appreciate what you're doing as well. Certainly, you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be right back with closing thoughts right after this. You're listening to an encore presentation of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back. You're still listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. That is, unless you turned your dial someplace, but we're coming to you live on tape today. Yeah, <laughs> so, recorded. Yeah. Interesting show. I, I hate using that term all the time, but it's pretty true. Yeah, it was well, an interesting well, program. I th- I, I've heard Judicial Watch on a variety of other programming um, 
shows and podcasts, and it was a treat to have them here today. Uh, Chris Farrell is very, in fact, I said at the break that I thought um, you two and your historical background is just amazing to listen to. You lost me and you educated me all at the same time. Well, like I say, I, I used to be a reader. <laughs> right. So I had this stroke, no, and now I can't and, read that much. And you know, the philosophy of Mar- Marxism and socialism is um, b- very diverse, and it, it it seems to me that those ideologies are infused with deception. It seems to be the underlying um, uh, term that uh, comes up in terms of being able to manipulate the population. It actually, when you go back in history and look at it, the Italian Carbonari and all of this other stuff that built up to the Frankfurt School, uh, a lot of it was directed at taking down the church. So so very relevant to mm-hmm. our programming mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and um, important to Catholics, especially, um, especially as we see more and more attacks against people of faith. Well, and then what was it uh, Paul VI said something about the smoke of Satan? is in the church, but there are people that are trying to infiltrate the church, and it's going on. It's you, going on You and know on. you say that. Um, I, 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 for, I've, I have not listened to Tucker Carlson since he moved over to Twitter, right. but for some strange reason, it popped up this weekend, and I was able to listen to the interview he had with a, uh, the leading conservative candidate. Of course, he doesn't call himself conservative. It's kind of an American conservative, but anyway, he um, of Argentina, a socialist country from where our Pope has mm-hmm. grown and, and uh, been raised. I that's would, the, I, we have to understand, that's the culture that Francis grew up in. Right. right. I mean, it's not his fault sometimes right. that when we accuse him of saying things or promoting things that uh, might not line up with our conservative Catholic values. Um, but I would encourage people to listen to it because I think you'll have a better understanding of Argentina and the history and and socialism, for that matter, That's and how right. it's really destroyed that country. That's right. That's so anyway, that was an aside. Sorry. We're, and then and then Brad Dacus, our old friend Brad Dacus, he's from Pacific Justice. I think he's Institute. probably been on more than any single guest well, over he, the years that we've it's been It's because on. all these things percolate from California, California I feel That's like. Right. And he's right living in and, and per- prosecuting right in that... Uh, uh, and adjudicating right in that land of l- nuts and fruits for like fruits and nuts, yeah. And, and like I say, it's, we don't know if that's the agricultural product or the political product of uh, California, but that's what it seems like. Right. So yeah. um, I love having Brad on. It makes I love me, having it, him it in the scares state. me to yeah. death what he what he covers um, because it just seems like we're not. You know, the first segment we talked about how in our population socialism pits one segment of the population against another. And then we have Brad talking about how California is promoting the courts to pit one parent against another parent. And the whole purpose of having the courts involved in our um, parental and custody disputes is to soften those um, animosities between the parents and to to determine an equitable way to uh, have the child be raised by both parents. And this does completely the opposite. Well, it's just like uh, so many of these places where if you have a child that is gender confused that is having problems uh, and you take them to a therapist, they can't try and cure him. They can't talk to him. You have to talk therapy where they or talk find, out the problems or find out what, right. the, you know, they have to affirm his new identity. And if they don't do that, they can lose their licenses. So that's, but anyway, we are at the time now, I think, where we are out of time. So 
in, the, in the name of St. Michael's Novena. Yes, uh, and we hope everybody is uh, doing that St. Michael's Novena that we talked about a couple and of weeks ago. signed up for it on org. Yeah, and there's a prayer you can say every night or every day, whenever you want to say it, that comes to you in the mail. And it's a very short one, and it does not take a lot of time to do. So we encourage you to do that. But anyway, as we end here, let's end with our Defender's Prayer. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who roam about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Remember, next week is our fall fundraiser. So if you've got some spare change, you want to save it over the weekend for us next week, we would certainly appreciate that. Keep us on the air. And in the meantime, Go to church this weekend, take your kids, and have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.